May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've been a priest for six years now and in ministry for over seven years, and it always surprises me what some of the most attended services are throughout the year. So, obviously, Christmas and Easter are the two most popular, but do you know what the next most popular day of the whole church year is? Ash Wednesday. That's right. It's Ash Wednesday. According to Google Trends, there's a massive uptick in searches for church around Christmas, Easter, and Ash Wednesday. And they're very similar uh, uh, as far as their increase. Living Church, a publication for Anglicans and Episcopalians, reported that in our tradition, parish attendance often doubles, triples, or in some cases, quadruples on Ash Wednesday. And we see that here. I mean, Ash Wednesday really is one of our best attended days of the whole year. For example, Deacon David and I, you know, we do a service on Fridays at Brightview at one o'clock every, every Friday. And I was asking him this week, how many people do you think we get on average on a Friday? And he said, about seven. You know how many people we got on Wednesday this past week? 40. 40. Wow. 40. But here's the thing. Despite the massive popularity of Ash Wednesday, only about 17% of adults surveyed by the Barna Research Group actually do anything for Lent in terms of observance. No fast, any kind of fasting or giving something up. So why is it that so many people go to church on Ash Wednesday, but then where are they the rest of Lent? For some people, Ash Wednesday and Lent are important, I think, because we live in this kind of laissez-faire culture where anything goes, and people innately distance themselves from death kind of at the same time. And so Ash Wednesday and Lent are the perfect convergence of being reminded of our mortality while also being reminded that penance is a good thing, that we should be sorry for our sins. For others, Ash Wednesday and Lent come at a very convenient time of the year, because if you create a New Year's resolution at the beginning of the year, by this point in the year, you've probably given up. And so Ash Wednesday is a really nice way to restart that. You can give something else up now. Perhaps, however, there is a group of people who like to show up on Ash Wednesday because they know they'll get ashes. Deacon David and I were joking, what can we give people every Sunday, you know, so that they'll come to church more often? But this motivation can easily become a kind of virtue signaling where people show off. Now, don't get me wrong. I would rather them be at church than anywhere else. But it's also important that as we begin a season like Lent, where we give things up, where we fast, where we confess our sins and repent, that we make this season not purely about externalities. Because if we do that, If the season is only about the things we do outwardly, it's not going to do us any good. In fact, it may actively harm us. We see this in our Old Testament this reading morning. Let me try that one more time. We see that in our Old Testament reading this morning from Isaiah 58. In the reading, the people approach God and they're wondering, why has he not rewarded them for their fasting? Wherefore have we fasted and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul and thou takest no knowledge? The issue, however, is that the people are fasting for all the wrong reasons. God indicts them in verse 4. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. The people are engaging in a form of empty ritualism here, a sin that Israel constantly struggles with throughout the Old Testament. 
The problem with empty ritualism doesn't lie in the fact that, that Israel kept the law. It's not that they did external actions or that they performed various rituals. In fact, they should have performed those rituals. They were given those, those liturgies by God in the law. The problem was in their assumption that their ritual actions would justify their hypocrisy of idolatry and social injustice. Ritual is good. Ritual is good because it teaches us, it forms us, it shapes us. We all have rituals and habits that make us who we are. But we can't be satisfied with perfunctory participation in the church's ritual, especially if we're going to go out and use that participation as a justification for doing things that are against God's will. Well, I went to confession, so it's okay if I go get toasted on Friday night. And so this Isaiah 58 is really an embarrassing moment for the people of Israel. Almost comical if it wasn't so sad. They're hypocritical, focused on the externality of fasting without worrying about a change in their hearts. And so in response, God asks them very pointedly, is it such a fast that I have chose a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? Does God need human fasting? No. Is going without food for a few hours or a few days really that remarkable? Not really. Well, for me it is, but not really. (laughs) Further, when fasting is disconnected from a conversion of the heart, it's fruitless. So God tells the people the kind of fast he actually wants, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke, to deal thy bread to the hungry, bring the poor that are cast out of to thy house. When thou seest the naked, cover him. These actions are not just self-deprivation. They are care for the other. They're evidence of a person who's informed by the gospel, working in that person from the inside out. And the beautiful thing is that God promises benefits for those who match the inward and the outward. He says, then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thine health shall spring forth speedily and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. For Israel, the unity between ritual and everyday life would bring with it blessing. This integration, this union between life and liturgy was a way for them to prepare to repair the ruins of damaged souls. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Today is the first Sunday in Lent for us. And for Christians, Lent is as old as 325 AD. It's been around about the same amount of time as we've been saying the Nicene Creed. On Ash Wednesday, we began a 40-day journey to prepare for Easter that's inspired by Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness from today's gospel reading. Now, part of this season includes external components. We wear an ashen cross on our foreheads as a reminder of our mortality. We fast and we give alms to those in need. Yet more than any of these externalities, this season is about recognizing that we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And when thou prayest, 
Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Fasting has a purpose in the Christian life. It helps us develop the virtue of temperance. It frees us up so that we have more time to pray, and it gives us more resources so that we can give to others. If, however, our preoccupation is with externalities only, then we're merely replicating the same attitude that Israel displays in Isaiah 58. Deacon David, I think, very pointedly reminded us on Ash Wednesday that it's possible for us to receive the grace of God in vain. Do we really think God needs our fasting? Do we really think eating a little less on its own is worthy of much praise and recognition? Do we really think wearing an ash and cross on our foreheads makes us virtuous? In no way are these bad things. These are good things. But they should point us toward a life that's offered to God as a living sacrifice. And so ultimately, the way that you should assess yourself during this season is not by how hungry you can get. It's not by how much money you give to the poor. It's not about how many hours of prayer you put in beyond what you normally do. There is one metric this season that you should use to assess yourself, and it's love. Because love is the fulfilling of the law, St. Paul reminds us in Romans 13. Without love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Is what you're doing during Lent, what you're giving up, the practices that you embrace, helping you love God and love others more? And if not, then it may be time to reevaluate those practices. Because the purpose of good liturgy and good works is that those things are good when they aid us in seeing things as they are, right? Good liturgy teaches us about the gospel. It teaches us about our dependence on God and his provision for us in the sacraments. Good works are good because they help us see God in other people. And so to close, I wanted to share some words by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He's a medieval theologian and one of my favorite preachers in the history of the church. In a sermon he preached for Lent, he explains beautifully, I think, why the sacrifice of ourselves that we offer to God should be complete and total, not focusing on the internal at the expense of the external and not focusing on the external at the expense of the internal, but rather a united sacrifice of our whole being. This is what St. Bernard says. What do we offer or what do we render for all he has rendered to us? He offered for us the most precious victim, That he had. Indeed, none more precious could exist. Let us then do what we can, offering him the best that we have, surely what we ourselves are. He offered himself. Who are you who hesitate to offer yourself? Who will accord to me that such great majesty condescend to accept my offering? Two mites, Lord, is all I have. I mean my body and my soul. If only I could offer them to you perfectly as a sacrifice of praise, it would be good for me and far more glorious and expedient to be offered to you than to be left to myself, for my soul is troubled within me. Brothers, the Jews offered dead victims to the Lord who was going to die. Yet now I live, says the Lord. I desire not the death of a sinner, but rather that he turn back and live. God does not want my death. And shall I not willingly offer him my life? This is an atoning sacrifice, 
a sacrifice acceptable to God, a living sacrifice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.